0: back to the shelf oddities my name is Erie, and i'm serafina
1: i want to welcome everybody to our first official odd october episode this month is going to be full of a lot of really interesting topics and i can't wait to get into them with you october as a month is a big holiday for us just Samhain and halloween rolled all together and we are celebrating on this podcast by covering the creepy the unexplained and the odd on every episode Even though we basically do this every week anyway, October will be deeper dives and longer episodes focused on the unnerving. This week, we are going to be talking about the Winchester House and its strange inhabitants. But before we get into that, Eerie, what episode are you most looking forward to in our Odd October series?
0: I am most looking forward to the Loveland Frogman episode Mm. uh, because he is really one of the only... Ohio specific cryptids and he doesn't get enough recognition.
1: Amen. I cannot wait to put that episode out. I'm excited to talk about our personal ghost stories. That's always a favorite conversation of mine to have. And I'm really excited to get into that, especially before Halloween. So let's get into the Winchester Mystery House. It's definitely a place that's held my interest and I'm sure yours for a long while. Its twisting hallways and staircases that lead to a dead end are just half of the curious nature of this Queen Anne style Victorian. Is it my dream home? Yes. If we could just take that house and put it on a handful of acres where no one could find us, I'd be set. Just us and the ghosties. Let's take a journey through these haunted halls histories. Our story starts in 1839 when Sarah Lockwood Party was born to Leonard and Sarah Party. They were a big family, six children in total, one brother and five sisters, sadly one of which tragically died in her infancy. They grew up on the same street as the Winchester family in Connecticut. Her father Leonard was a carpenter and a carriage manufacturer. He was enamored with regency in the victorian era architecture he was prolific in bringing that style to the area that we see now and i would like to commend him on that hopefully one day we are lucky enough to bring some of that grandeur into our own homes their family was progressive raised unorthodox and supported in their dreams consistently which became a very large factor into her and her siblings lives which i will get to in a moment they were smart children Sarah, as a child, learned four languages. Sarah would go on to the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute at Yale College. With her already being in the upper echelons of society and now with this Yale education, this raised her station and placed her in a great position to marry an equally privileged man. William Wirt Winchester was not only just a neighborhood boy, he was also one of Sarah's childhood friends. They were both modest and quiet, with a love of architecture and the arts. William was the only son of Oliver Winchester and was raised to take over his father's businesses. Erie, I know you did some research on the businesses. What did you find out?
0: Well, before we get into that, step one, we have to talk about how William's middle name is Wirt. <laughs> um, because I've only ever heard Wirt before as a name in Over the Garden Wall, which you and I both love and adore. Yes. A very underappreciated name. Cartoon Network series that if you haven't seen it, and you like what we like, and you love Halloween, and you love vintage and the creepy, definitely recommend looking into that.
1: It's so great. It's also on Hulu, I think, right now, so if you have that, you can find it there.
0: Definitely. I didn't go into the nitty gritty, such as like when gun models are produced or any of that, because quite honestly, I don't really care, (laughs) and I don't think it's that relevant to the timeline. Um, So what we have here is kind of a high-level overview. So. The Winchester Gun Empire. It was established in 1866 by Oliver Winchester and was located in New Haven, Connecticut. Born in Boston in 1810, Winchester's initial foray into business was as a maker of men's shirts. Seeing the economic potential of the fast-growing firearms industry, Winchester began to assemble investors and in secure venture capital, and in 1857 bought a controlling interest in the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company from two inventive gentlemen named Horace Smith and Daniel B. Wesson, which sounds familiar if you know anything about guns. Smith and Wesson is a whole other, whole other can of worms, but um, there are a lot of familiar players in here. Winchester continued to refine firearm designs with investors Benjamin, Tyler, Henry, and Nelson King. And on May 22nd, 1866, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company was born. So in 1866, Benjamin Henry, angered over what he believed was inadequate compensation, aren't we all angry (laughs) about (laughs) inadequate compensation, attempted to have the Connecticut legislature award ownership of New Haven Arms to him. Oliver Winchester, who was in Europe, hastened back and forestalled the move and reorganized New Haven Arms yet again as the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. So as we see here, the struggle begins and the struggle will continue. Mm. Winchester had the basic design of the Henry rifle completely modified and improved to become the first Winchester rifle, the model 1866 Yellow Boy lever action rifle. Westward expansion during this time will fuel decades of demand for Winchester firearms. I also have a bullet point in here that literally just says Theodore Roosevelt fucking loved the Winchester rifle. And I have that in there because if you're reading the actual timeline of this from the Winchester website, they repeatedly mention times where Theodore Roosevelt bought a ton of them or was like taking a ton of them somewhere. And he was just really down. He was just really down.
1: Yeah, even in my research, he comes up a bunch. He was uh, a huge fan. A stand, if you will. He he definitely stand the Winchesters. He
0: stand the Winchesters.
1: So getting back to William Wirt, he was a perpetually sick boy. In these days, we would call him chronically ill. He was actually too ill to fight in the Civil War at this time. So he was in the area when Sarah graduated, and at this time they started courting. The lemonade was a-flowing on front porches, and the chaperoned strolls in the park led them to a path of love and companionship. <laughs> In 1862, when they were 23, they got married, and this is when the tragedy that would follow Sarah Winchester's every step would really start to show up. Within this year, William's sister named Annie Dye died. Sorry, there's not a great way to say that. She passed in childbirth. Her infant son died 19 days later, following the tragic death of her two-year-old son as well. This triple tragedy wrought the hearts of the family Leading Sarah and William to stay within the Winchester home close to their remaining family for comfort.
0: Do we know what happened to the two year old? We do
1: not know how the two year old son passed away. Even with Annie died, there's not even a lot of research that says she exists. The only way we know she exists is because of letters. Oh. So it's pretty um it's pretty sparse information at this point. So then in eighteen sixty five. Sarah herself became pregnant, and this time for joy really just led to tension and stress because of how they lost Annie. Sarah gave birth to a beautiful baby girl in June of 1866, naming her Annie after her aunt. In July of 1866, a month later, baby Annie, who had been having trouble eating, starved to death passing from Marasimus
0: What is Morasimus?
1: It's basically an energy deficiency.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. Um, so this of course drove the couple into an insane amount of grief. I couldn't imagine. No, not at all. They went into seclusion, yeah. keeping themselves together as best as they could and mourning their sweet child. Yeah. Only a few years later, misfortune struck them again. Sarah's father, Leonard Party, passed as well. Sarah at this time writes in her journal that she feels the trend following her. The Grim Reaper was never too far behind in her life. She spent her time grieving and trying to make the best of it. She wasn't too involved in her husband's and father-in-law's business. She did take an interest looking at their financial management and the real estate acquisitions, paying close attention to the goings on. The Winchester family decided to build a new estate in New Haven, more grand and luxurious than before, Sarah and William took a major part in overseeing this design and construction, losing themselves in the work and seeing hope for the first time in a while. When finished, they both had such a sense of pride. This had been a great way to cope with their grief. But the clock keeps ticking evermore and Sarah's curse of tragic deaths were near too far behind. In May of 1880, Sarah's mother passed. Then in December, Oliver, Winchester, passed as well. And then the most upsetting of all, in March of 1881, William succumbed to his longtime tuberculosis. Her most loved three all go within a year, all to tuberculosis. Sarah, at this point, is drowning in grief with no one to turn to. She also found herself wealthier than the gods her mother's estate divided amongst her siblings, with still more money than most of us will see in our lifetime then from the winchester side she inherited thousands of stocks and bonds multiple pieces of real estate and then at last a trust of 300k all in totaling what in these days is 562 million dollars making her one of the wealthiest women at the time this then, of course, leads us back to the Winchester's business and how that changes. Eri, you want to give it a go?
0: Sure. So at this point, Sarah has 50% holding in a company she was never truly interested in, like you were talking about before, Serafina So she let that go to other trusted people within the company, which then led the company to the First World War. And as we know, when a war is going on, people are going to be needing weapons. And Winchester made that happen. They made guns for the war. So Winchester finalized and worked on additional models of guns. They also worked on ammunition. I'm not going to include the specifics, but that's important because they made money on both. During the war, Winchester had borrowed heavily to finance its massive expansion. With the return of peace, the company attempted to use its surplus production capacity and pay down its debt by trying to become a general manufacturer of consumer goods. Everything from kitchen knives to roller skates to refrigerators to be marked with the Winchester stores, which I thought was very interesting because you don't typically see a gun company doing that. But as we know, a lot of companies actually did that during the war, um, trying to make money other ways so the idea that the winchester name was on like someone's butter knife and you come over (laughs) and you're like "Okay, okay winchester butter knife um so at that time they also merged with the simmons hardware company i thought that was also interesting that a gun store and a hardware company merged together but really it does make sense with what they were manufacturing at the time and i mean guns are really just hardware right
1: that's so interesting because now that I think about it, there's so many hardware stores that I walk into, especially here in like small towns, where they're selling guns. Yeah. So like they started that
0: trend. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if
1: I that mean, it was seems an, like it was so long ago. That's so right. That was so wild. I mean, they're
0: at least connected. I don't know. Yeah. If it, yeah, for sure. So the consumer goods strategy was a failure for Winchester, unfortunately, and the Great Depression put the final nail in the company's coffin, as it did for a lot of companies. The Winchester Repeating Arms Company went into receivership in 1931 and was bought at a bankruptcy auction by the Olin family's Western Cartridge Company. Oliver Winchester's firm would maintain a nominal existence until 1935 when Western Cartridge merged with its subsidiary to form the Winchester Western Company, which makes sense because, I don't think I've talked about this on the pod yet, but for a while I worked at a gun store Um, it was a very interesting experience. I'll go more into it in our haunted episode because there's some connection there, Mm -hmm. but Winchester Western makes a lot of sense because all of their imagery is always like cowboys on horses Mm -hmm. and like rope. It's very Western themed. So this part happening, um, definitely tracks with some of the stuff that they've been doing in, in recent years as well. In 1944, the firearms and ammunition operations would be reorganized as the Winchester Western Division of Olin Industries. Western's first vice president, John M. Olin, was a sportsman and gun enthusiast, and he started at once to restore the Winchester brand to its former luster by concentrating on its classical models and updated versions thereof, with particular attention to quality and prestige. Winchester flourished even during the Great Depression. Hmm. Which leads us to the Second World War. And I don't have a ton in here because, really... They were just making guns like anyone else, <laughs> and the one bullet I have is more M1 carbines were manufactured by Winchester and other firms than any other U.S. small arms of World War II, so they were really doing the damn thing.
1: It's very interesting that, like, they were such a big factor to both World Wars, but, like, in the middle, they like, kind of struggled for a yeah. bit. It's interesting how they propped themselves back up. Well, cool. Thanks for... I didn't know that. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that there was a second a secondary of the winchester western i didn't realize that that was separate that's very interesting so let's go back to sarah where does this leave her after these deaths that wracked her life she dealt with the funerals she got some financial consultations done and then did what we all wish we could do when dealing with these types of things she went to the seaside (laughs) to get that good fresh northern eastern air and tried to heal as best as she could a little while later She comes back home, and at this time, California had been marketing itself hard. It was new, beautiful, and a land of opportunity. So she consulted some of her siblings and decided to pack up and move to Santa Clara Valley, what we now all call San Jose. Her sisters, Belle and Estelle, and their families moved with her as well. Their older sister, Nettie, was already moving out that way, and she joined them on their journey. The beautiful views and weather made their way into Sarah's heart and she and her sister started to put down roots. So some interesting things that I found out about Belle, whose real name is Isabel. Belle was the first white member to sign up when the NAACP came to Palo Alto where she was living. Belle was elected to the board of directors for the Palo Alto Humane Society, which at that time dedicated itself to the humane treatment of both children and animals. The board also helped create a State Humane Association of California. On a number of occasions, Bell performed citizen's arrests on people she thought were being cruel to animals. Bell became the director of the Santa Clara County Humane Society and the special humane officer in this position. She looked into child welfare cases, rescuing abused children, and placing them in private homes. She was a strong advocate for the adoption of abandoned or mistreated children and took many of them into her own home. One of the abused children she saved, named Margaret, was eventually adopted by Belle's daughter and son-in-law who had no children of their own. As you can see, the Pardee women were definitely women to not be reckoned with. Like I was saying earlier, their parents really raised them to be progressive and to care for each other and the world around them.
0: Bella really sounds like the type of person who, if they saw a dog in a hot car, would be breaking the window,
1: no questions asked. Oh, 100%. She'd have a TikTok surrounded by that, like, shaming people. Uh, She'd be pretty interesting. Good for her. Yeah, I really thought that was interesting information and thought it would be fun to include. And I wish that it was all fun information, but unfortunately, that clock still keeps ticking and wherever you go, there you are. Along with your curses, the Grim Reaper isn't a stranger to California. Not long after they settled in, her sister Estelle fell into addictions and her liver paid the price. Her sister passed away in 1894. After the family found its feet again, Belle moved into a new home with her family in Palo Alto and Sarah helped her renovate it, reminding her and reigniting that love for home design. Sarah went home to her modest farmhouse and started laying out plans for construction. She had the bank account to fund these changes. This is where society in California would start to fail Sarah, in my opinion. It wasn't typical for high society ladies to have passions like this. This is where we as future inhabitants of the story start to get things wrong as well. In the 1890s, it was weird for ladies to take charge in their homes renovation. Joanna Gaines would be burned at the stake. Which is really fucking funny if you knew anything about Joanna Gaines, but it's okay. That leads me into where Sisera would not have been made to be odd in society, and that would be for seances. Let's get this straight, adding another layer to your home, weird ass bitch, talking to the spirits, cool as hell. (laughs) This was after the Civil War. Everyone had been touched by it and was grieving. Seances were new and scientific, she wasn't odd for this yet. Don't get me wrong, they turn on her later, but I wanted to make this distinction very clear as 21st century inhabitants of the story.
0: I think during that time, that's when spiritualism really popped off, as they say.
1: Yep, and she was popping off. The sprawling estate that's now on South Winchester Street is currently sporting four stories. It used to have seven stories before an earthquake in 1906 took its pound of architecture from the manor. It was built on a floating foundation, and that's the reason they believe the whole house didn't come down entirely. Present day, you can find 161 rooms, 40 of them bedrooms, two ballrooms, even though one of them is not finished. There are 47 fireplaces connected to 17 different chimneys, 10,000 panes of glass adorn the windows, and there are two basement levels. The house at one time sat on 162 acres, but now is contained to just under five acres. The house and outbuildings taking up most of that footprint. You will find mostly redwood and brick in its materials, but the lady of the estate didn't love how it looked, so she required it to be painted, using about 20,500 gallons of paint. She spent her days at different Victorian fairs, acquiring beautiful pieces for her home. So we're talking about a major change. It was a quaint farmhouse on a giant piece of land turned into a castle and not a lot of time. Society wanted in there. They would whisper and gossip and the media would print the latest hot goss and the public would eat it up with a spoon. We love to blame the media, but let's not pretend they haven't always gone with what gets the most clicks, views, and engagements, even in 1895. (laughs) They called her snobby, then superstitious, and when people ate that up, that she was just a little spooky, they realized they could use her for a scapegoat for all of the guilt they had in killing people, mostly indigenous peoples, with the namesake weapons. So the media boiled her life down to that, which I don't find to be very accurate in my research. She was really never connected to the company. She never killed anyone herself. She never really mentions it in letters. She does spend her time trying to get in contact with her own family. And she did build the house as a way to cope with grief for her own loss. And I think it's over time that's just been twisted because of the Times gun guilt and because it makes a fun story. The legend, as reported on the Winchester Mystery House website, a medium told Sarah that she was being haunted by spirits of people killed by the famous gun and she would die unless she started building a house and never ceased. According to the website, construction lasted day and night for 38 years. But that's not true, says Marion Nafo. Winchester's own letters explain that she sent workers away for months at a time. Requests for an interview with officials at the Winchester Mystery House uh, haven't been able to answer this because that's pretty common. It's a common question because that's such the theory that we're told in media. Um, But a TikTok creator named Tiny Dooms who worked at the house says the historian is made to tell it as the legend has it and not the historical fact and why that's the case we'll get into later. But a lot of the turning on her on Sarah Winchester is when two different presidents asked to stay in this mansion, one of them being Teddy Roosevelt. Um, which some people say that's not true and he just kept on driving but it seems like he was rejected and it didn't go well and once again this is where mary Joe nafo she wrote the book captain of the labyrinth she's quoted saying to the local people she was an enigma they did not know what to make of her eventually they just made fun so even though she had some defenders who would make statements to the press condemning them for making out people to be cranks when they had come here to spend their money and stimulate the economy. At the end of the day, it just became a, any crazy content we put about Sarah Winchester is gonna get the people going and we're gonna keep putting that out there. Which, you know, we've seen that happen over and over again. She was kind of the Britney Spears of her time. But Mrs. Winchester was no weak-willed woman. She didn't care what these people had to say. Her construction brought her comfort and joy, things she desperately deserved after the Greek tragedy of her life. She had never denied anything or defended herself. And that's then when the earthquake I mentioned earlier hit. In 1906, 3,000 people were killed fires started because of the damage and then two different sixty thousand gallon water towers fell as well on the town the mystery house was not unscathed by this balconies fell entire wings collapsed it went from seven stories to about four and a half you can still see some damage today doors leading to nowhere on the outside and staircases that led to the ceiling sarah winchester herself was being quoted saying it looks like it was built by a crazy person The natural disaster only lent to the town's theory that she was this living legend. Sarah at this point had had enough and had planted huge hedges so the neighbors and passerbys couldn't peek in and make up stories about her any longer. So then what happened? They used anything that they could against her. The main thing later in life being that she was doing seances and spells with her employees. Do you wanna take a guess? Why, knowing what we know about this time in the Gilded Age?
0: Was it because she was a woman or was it uh, (laughs) racism?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, probably both really. Um, Her employees were people of color whom she treated well and paid twice as much as they would get anywhere else. So there you have it. Can't do that.
0: Sounds about
1: right. It was a place where they actually felt like family. They lived with her. There were babies born in the home where the parents would add Winchester to the middle name to honor Sarah. And you know what that means. The well-to-do wifeies around the area looked right down their noses at her, made up lies about her relationships with them. There are journal entries and interviews done with her employees where they just sing her praises and reminisce on the time with her life. I mean, you think 1906? She was 67 years old at this time. And they're acting as if she's, like, doing full full moon seances with all of her employees. Like, like she was succumbing to rheumatoid arthritis, having to put elevators in her home. And they're making up lies about her and how she treats her employees. It's absolutely wild. And then the clock chimed for the last time. And Sarah passed at 83 years old on September 5th, 1922nd living a full life of heartbreak, triumph, and rheumatoid arthritis. She then left most of her money to a hospital nearby, hoping to continue affecting lives for the better. So, with this in mind, where did the Winchester Company go after Sarah's death?
0: is a great question. So by the 1960s, the rising cost of skilled labor was making it increasingly unprofitable to produce Winchester's classic designs as they required considerable hand work to finish. Labor costs continued to rise through the 1960s and 70s, and a prolonged and bitter strike in 1979 through 1980 ultimately convinced Olin that firearms could no longer be produced profitably in New Haven so in december 1980 the new haven plant was sold to its employees incorporated as the u.s repeating arms company and granted a license to make winchester firearms olin retained the winchester ammunition business u.s repeating arms itself went bankrupt in 1989 after bankruptcy it was acquired by a french holding company then sold to belgian arms makers herstel group On January 16th, 2006, US Repeating Arms announced it was closing its New Haven plant where Winchester rifles and shotguns had been produced for 140 years. That is insane to me, but the fact that it was still there until 2006 is also pretty cool because that's a very long time um, for something like that to be, you know, in the same location. Um, So this section is called recovery. So Olin Corporation begins recovering efforts and opening additional plants. Olin Corporation is who currently owns the Winchester brand right now. The Olin Corporation is owned by another corporation. I was doing a quick Google before we got to this part to try to figure out is there one man who just owns everything and the answer is no. It's owned by a corporation, sold to another corporation, owned by a corporation is the best way to put it.
1: And then that kind of brings us to a different type of corporation I want to get into. A year later after her death, her home was rented to a Mr. and Mrs. John Brown. Um, I believe it's Mamie is her name, John and Mamie Brown, who saw the home for the mystery house business opportunity as it was. They then bought the house for 135K. Um,
0: could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine?
1: Could you imagine? You couldn't even buy a house today for 135K, no. let, alone. let alone
0: one with that many rooms? Are you <sighs> kidding me? That's insane. They then
1: start inviting the media into the home to confirm their views that old Mrs. Winchester was a kook. And this is where many of the stranger things in the home stranger things <laughs> Oh God. This is where many of the stranger things in the home get added and done up to make her seem a little weirder. Former neighbors and workers, along with two young men who were raised on the Winchester Ranch attempted to tell the press and the public about the interesting and good woman that Mrs. Winchester was, but their stories fell on deaf ears, and the successful mystery house marketing over the years has made it extremely difficult to find a trace of truth about the real person. I'm about to turn the mic over to Erie, but before we do that, in doing this research, critics love to say she wasn't a haunted woman. She was just in grief, which there's no shortage of grief in her life. I think many things can happen at once. I think we collect spirits as we go. I think others bring spirits to us. So if you are someone who falls into that line that she didn't bring any ghosts into the home and she didn't build a home for ghosts, I understand. But try to keep an open mind because some of this evidence does send a chill up my spine. So, Erie, would you mind presenting some of this evidence to our creatures?
0: Yeah, to add on what you said, though, first, uh, I know we were talking earlier about how she liked to basically go antiquing, right? Like she would go buy things. I know that sometimes spirits can also get attached to those.
1: Yeah, I mean, every time I come home from Goodwill, I'm doing a cleanse. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, So, I mean, she could have just gotten, you know, a wayward couch that had a spooky bob attached to it. Who knows? That's true. So, let's get into it. I'm starting with Sarah and the Ghosts. So, opening quote from the article the heiress to a gun empire built a mansion forever haunted by the blood money that built it by pamela Hogg. really rolls off the tongue really (laughs) rolls off the tongue and also if we're talking about the media uh that's definitely a media choice
1: yeah that's a choice for sure
0: her building is a ghost story of the american gun or so the legend went a spiritualist in the mid-1800s, when plenty of sane Americans believed they could communicate with the dead, Winchester became terrified that her misfortunes, especially the death of her husband and one-month-old daughter, were cosmic retribution for all the spirits killed by the Winchester Rifles. A relative said many decades later, Winchester fell, quote, under the thrall of a medium who told her that she would be haunted by the ghosts of the Winchester Rifles' victims unless she built non-stop Perhaps at ghost direction for their pleasure or perhaps as a way to elude them. Haunted by conscience over her gun-blood fortune and seeking either protection or absolution, Winchester lived in almost complete solitude in a mansion designed to be haunted. Which we know most of that doesn't seem to
1: be true well it's kind of weird because it is weird to look at it from our time now that like she lived alone we know she didn't she had a bunch of employees who all loved her but like Mm -hmm. people at that time didn't see employees or servants as they were called at that time as people so they're like she lived alone no she didn't
0: she had people they're just people people. recognize as humans yeah So, while building the house, Sarah reportedly held daily seances with local mediums in efforts to reach good spirits who were consulted regarding how to best appease the spirits whom she was allegedly building the house for. Did you see anything in your research about daily seances? I feel like that would be somewhere if that were...
1: I don't think they were daily. There is... It's so hard to go with the seances because there is a seance room. Or at least, I mean, it's a room. There's 160 rooms in that and right now as the people who work for them which we'll get into in a second they call it the seance room Mm. but there's no like if there was daily seances there would be so much evidence i would think at least but it doesn't seem that way i mean and for how are you going to say that she's alone all the time if there's always people there right you know what i mean like which one is it
0: So, the good spirits are reportedly what called Winchester to make so many illogical additions to the home, which...
1: We know was an earthquake. We know
0: was an earthquake, so... Far after the construction was completed, Winchester continued to make efforts to appease the victims of the Winchester rifles, supposedly out of the 13 bathrooms in the home only one was functional in an effort to confuse any ghosts wishing to haunt a spigot which i thought was the funniest line (laughs) that's so specific i also have a note in here to say did someone spell spigot out on an ouija board because if someone was trying to say spigot i don't know that i would know that that's what they're trying to say Not spigot. spigot
1: oh my goodness
0: Supposedly she would sleep in a different room every night in the Winchester house and use secret passageways to get from room to room so that no spirits could follow her. And she was also supposedly obsessed with the number thirteen. I know that you and I kind of talked about this briefly, Mm -hmm. and that might not be completely true, but there is a lot of evidence of the number thirteen in the house, which the number thirteen is spooky. So scary. So spooky. So the website details the occurrences of 13 in the house, 13 robe hooks in the seance room, 13 panes of glass in several windows, a stairway with 13 steps just to name a few. Ignafo says that these facts are used as evidence to prove the woman was ruled by superstition. Quote, references to the number 13 were added after Sarah's death according to workers at the time. The 13 hooks were added about 5 years ago.
1: It's true. Interesting. It's, I mean, we're going to get into it a little bit later. I guess I should have put it in earlier, what's really kind of like going on. But it all kind of comes together at the end for me, at least with all this stuff stacked up.
0: So let's get into ghosts specifically, starting with the case of the ghostly handyman. Some of Sarah Winchester's loyal workmen and house servants may still be looking after the place. Some sightings say that there are figures or they feel a presence. And people have said that many times over the years by tour guides and visitors alike. One frequent apparition is a man with jet black hair believed to have been a former handyman. He's been seen repairing the fireplace in the ballroom or pushing an equally spectral wheelbarrow, if wheelbarrow's indeed linger in the beyond, down a long dark hallway. I know that this part was specifically mentioned in Ghost Adventures. Yeah, his name's
1: Clyde. We're gonna talk about him later. What a homie. He's great.
0: The Secret of the Invisible Hand is another...
1: Wait, this is kind of weird, too, because I I say this later, too. This is something that other people know about?
0: Apparently. Huh. So, several years ago, a man working on one of the many restoration pieces in the mansion started his day early in a section with several fireplaces known as the Hall of Fires. The house was dead quiet before Taurus got underway, and he was working up on a ladder when he felt someone tap him on the back. He turned to ask what the person wanted. But no one was there reassuring himself he'd just imagined the sensation he went back to his work only to experience what felt like someone pushing against his back then he had enough he hurried down the ladder crossed the estate and started on another project figuring that someone or something didn't want him working in the hall of fires that day
1: i mean i'd be taking that as a sign too
0: i mean if someone was going to push me off a ladder i definitely am not going to stay on the ladder yeah
1: i'm gonna go somewhere else for the day i'll come back later when you're ready
0: Another example of a haunting, the sign of the heavy sigh, as this was called. A tour guide named Samantha led visitors to the Daisy bedroom, where Sarah Winchester was trapped during the 1906 earthquake. Samantha was about to begin her spiel when a very clear sigh came from the small hallway outside the bedroom door. Thinking one of her guests had merely fallen behind, Samantha turned to call the person into the room, but saw no one. Then, as her eyes adjusted to the darkened hallway, she did see something. The form of a small, dark person slowly emerging, gliding around the corner. Samantha quickly stepped around the corner and again saw nothing, but heard yet another deep sigh. She felt sure it was the tiny form of Sarah Winchester herself, perhaps peeved to find people in her favorite bedroom. I'd be pissed too! I would
1: be too. I'm
0: just trying to live my spooky life, haunting my mansion that I built, and there's people in my freaking room?
1: Yeah, get out of here, dude.
0: Absolutely not. (laughs) So, some additional hauntings. On Friday the 13th in April of 2018, TAPS recorded one of their cameras being mysteriously moved in the attic. I watched a video about this on the Winchester Mystery House's Instagram, which is actually really cool. Yeah, Um, If you like this type of... I mean, if you like the Winchester House in general, I definitely think it's worth following just to see their content. Yeah. Um, And they had a video, and basically the camera's in the attic, and it just gets pushed by something. You Mm -hmm. can't tell. Um also on the instagram they have a picture of a cat named colonel mustard i don't have information on that i just wanted to tell everyone that they have a cat named colonel mustard
1: i didn't know that and i do follow them and that's wonderful news
0: incredible news editing Erie here this episode was recorded in the past and just to share some sad news the colonel passed away on september 11th 2022 and there's a precious picture up of him on the instagram if you want to give your one last final respects but just wanted to include that in here as when this episode is posted um this has already happened a medium informed the staff that two spirit children were playing hide and go seek in the hallway leading up to the witch's cap on the third floor and, um, the witch's cap has struck several psychics slash mediums with strong spiritual energy, even though it has not been proven that it was used for anything else other than attic space.
1: What's the witch's cap?
0: It is a room.
1: Oh, it's like a, t- a spire, it's, it's right? It's like room, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's
0: round, yeah. Oh, that's
1: cool. I didn't know they called it the witch's cap. Ghost adventures has been a staple in my life since 2004 when the documentary came out before the series. I know that people loved a kid on good old Zach Baggins, but I'm a stand by my mans. I love him. Uh, Also, my mans Doobie, Aaron Goodwin. Uh, That's truly the homie. And if you know my spouse, you will feel the Aaron Goodwin vibes for sure. So now that you know my complete bias towards this piece of media, I would like to say, I think that maybe they're responsible for some of the intense energy now found in the Winchester home. In their first visit to the Winchester home, the crew decided they wanted to do an experiment. Zach Beggins is obsessed with triangles and he feels like they always amp up the energy and sometimes they can even open portals. So he opened a communication experiment between the old Washoe Club, which is a crazy haunted place we should cover, and then our friendly neighborhood portal to hell, Bobby Mackey's. They opened this vibe triangle and all hell breaks loose in this house erin gets spiritually attacked and zach Begin's grandmother passes away in the middle of the experiment i'm now realizing how i wrote this sounds like she died because of this that's not what i'm trying to say she was already sick and just happened to pass away in the middle of this experiment but she comes through and speaks to zach they document an energy surge at this time and then 10 minutes later zach gets the call that his grandma passed away at the same time as this voice and energy surge and he decides to end the investigation I mean, you can tell me all day that they fake EVPs or whatever, but this is like documented stuff. You can hear her voice, which they play a section of a voicemail she left him weeks before and you can tell it's the same voice. And it's documented when she died by a doctor. I'm not saying it's perfect science, but that shit made a believer out of me in 2011. They then returned five years later, this time without Nick, another topic for another day. I highly recommend you watch this episode because this energy is different now. I should also probably note that this is the only Winchester episode you can watch on Discovery Plus, and I'd love to rant about that for a second because what's going on at Discovery Plus? There are episodes completely removed, seasons split in half, and seasons missing completely. Ghost Adventures is a huge selling point for Discovery Plus. I wish that maybe they would treat the fans in the series with the respect that they ask for, because when you look up the return to Winchester Mystery House, it says it's season 12 episode 11, but uh, season twelve only goes up to episode eight on Discovery Plus. What's going on? We want answers.
0: Conspiracy.
1: You know. Anyway, sorry about that. I just when I was writing my notes, I was like, why does this keep happening? Like this is some good info. Why couldn't we make it easier? So anyway, uh, you can find it. It's a uh, season. 13 episode 7 or something season like that. Season 13. Season... Th- <gasps> actually, you know what? I'm a liar. I think it's actually season 14 because I don't even think no. season 13 exists on Discovery+. Plus.
0: Are they scared of the number 13?
1: You know what? They might be, and they should be. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, anyway, back to the, the Return to the Mystery House episode. And this is going to be long, so I'm sorry, but... it it doesn't stop they get into this house and it never stops it just gets crazier and crazier Um, when they enter the house they start going back to the place that Aaron was affected spiritually the last time and as they turn down the corner they capture a full apparition of a man walking down the hallway in front of them this is at minute six of the episode we're starting off strong here when recorder is in hand they ask who that was and they clearly get an evp that says that that was me and it's so clear i wrote that down as to what i thought it said and then five minutes later when they show the docent named john the evp he also guesses that's what it says as well john also tells a story about a ghost named clyde that we talked about earlier he was a handyman of sarah winchester's they have a photo of this man who was an employee He says he's a guy wearing overalls, a white hat, seen pushing around, a wheelbarrow mostly. And then they show John this footage of the spirit they captured earlier. And John is surprised because that's Clyde. And I mean, you can clearly see this man and his hat and his wheelbarrow walking down the hallway. They then officially start their investigation. They're not even investigating yet. And they get such a cool piece of evidence. In Sarah Winchester's seance room, they invite Sarah to sit with them and a figure shows up on the SLS camera. SLS stands for Structured Light Sensored Camera. It uses the same technology your old Xbox Kinect would use. The light sensors any structures, as the name would say. I have watched hours of SLS footage and I find it to be pretty credible. So basically a figure sits down across from Zack and they bring out the spirit box. They ask who's with them and the spirit box says Russell. I couldn't find any connection to the name, but when they ask how many spirits are with them, the same voice says seven. Zach then decides to bring a gun into the room as a trigger item, and the technology starts getting freaky at that point. The SLS camera dies, the spirit box turns off, a light turns off. I mean, pretty much they were like, get that gun out of here, you know? Um, Which I think is pretty interesting.
0: Maybe they just didn't like guns.
1: Well, I mean, not everyone does, you know? So moving on from that, uh, there is a set of stairs, that's three staircases all going different ways uh, from a small landing. Zach believes it's a portal because the stairs go to nowhere. And I think that also, you know, that could just be from the earthquake, but it is weird to put that many set of stairs anyway. <laughs> like three, you needed three set of stairs. <laughs> Two wasn't enough, like you, you couldn't make it work. But I also think even if the earthquake did cap those stairs, That doesn't mean that it couldn't still be a portal, considering all of that energy has nowhere to go. So it's not like the earthquake couldn't have had a hand in making said portal. It doesn't mean it had to be intentional. So anyway, um, it's kind of interesting how it works. And if you watch the episode, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's odd, but it's interesting because you were talking about the weird, you know, hand that was pushing people off ladders and stuff. In this episode, you, they actually capture a weird hand-looking apparition coming out of these stairs. Oh, weird. Yeah, isn't that strange? So when I saw your notes, I had to include it because I was like, wait a second, They're, they do be, you know, and it's Mosty like,
0: hands. is it
1: the thing? Is it thing? Is it a thing? Like, things walking around? I mean, I'm fine with it. So what's a common factor in Sarah Winchester's home is that people get lost a lot because... That's a common thing within Victorian homes. They actually do this for temperature control. It's a lot easier to close off one section of a home than a huge space. So that way you can cool down a room or heat a room quickly and not having to do the whole home. So of course that means our boys get lost, (laughs) straight up. So in getting lost, they end up finding themselves in a section of the home they didn't think that they were going to go to and Zach starts having this weird experience with this little kid, or a spirit presenting itself as a little kid.
0: It's never a little
1: kid. It's never a little kid. It starts hissing at him, not a little kid thing to do. Uh, Then there's knocking, there's footsteps, all these are caught on camera, and then they actually end up capturing a little kid's voice on EVP, which I think is pretty interesting. But this was Zach and Billy alone, They then cut to Aaron needing some alone time in the room that he was affected in. And this is when he starts saying that he has such immense guilt for the experiment and needs to apologize. This is where I'm saying I think some things went behind the scenes that they don't show. Where they start to take this guilt and feel this blame for this experiment. Which I think when you go to the Winchester Homes Instagram, you see a a, a huge uptick in paranormal stuff now, like videos and stuff that they didn't used to have, and I think that is because of this experiment. I think that Bobby Mackey's is a leech, and I think I say that later, and I think I'm jumping ahead of myself, but, you know, what, what can you do? So after Aaron gets done apologizing, Zach decides he wants to send the crew back to where he was having this experiment with the little kid presenting spirit. And as they're walking back, Zach gets pushed down a set of ramps in the home. There are multiple cameras pointed at this ramp, and he clearly doesn't trip or fall. He's pushed back. So the guy that was pushed out the ladder, once again, we have someone getting pushed again. It just seems to be pretty common so this actually he's he then says it also fucks up his spine for like the next two weeks as well and i mean he's not i'm gonna tell you right now zach baggins he's many things he's not a great actor when they act out stuff sometimes it's really cringy you know like they're just dudes having fun like trying to make a show that's entertaining that's what
0: i love the most about i him. do too it's a lot of people are like it's so cringy but here's the thing he's just a guy
1: he's just a guy he's
0: just a guy who really likes this stuff yeah i appreciate him his whole museum we were talking about this before we started recording and how badly we want to go he's just a dude who got really into it and now he owns a whole building full of things (laughs) that he just really likes yeah he's just living his life
1: yeah and i'm just like i agree 100 i agree And that's one of my favorite things about them too. They're all kind of bad actors, to be honest. Like they're just, because they're not there to make you believe them. They're there to have fun and then also investigate, you know? So, and they keep those two things very separate and they talk about that a lot. So when I see Zach get pushed on these ramps, this is clearly not a man acting. Like he's like really shaken. Uh, And you can tell he was like really kind of hurt. They finally make it back to the space where he was having this interaction and they turn on the spirit box and the same little kid's voice that captured on EVP comes through saying, little kid, when Zack asks him what his name is, which isn't great. very sus. They then ask him if he pushed Zack and the same voice says, no. He then asks again, are you sure? And a different voice comes through and says, F you i hate it they then at this point see the little kid run behind aaron and this is captured on camera as a ball of light so it's like little kid little kid. it's like are you sure and it's like fuck you like can you in like this deep voice no 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 i'm good i've had enough and nothing like that was ever captured before their experiment so i just think I just and we'll talk about it a little bit more. I don't want this to become the ghost adventures episode of this podcast, but I found this stuff to be so interesting because I think it lends to some of the stuff going on now, which I think is important. In this episode, they capture eight different clear EVP's, two different light anomalies. Anomalies? How do you say that?
0: Anomaly.
1: Anomaly. anomaly. Thank you. Anomaly. <laughs> We've captured an anomaly at this exact moment
0: you see the light anomaly
1: the light anomaly 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 Um, anomaly anomaly in this episode they capture eight different clear evps two different light anomalies and one clear apparition much different numbers than before this experiment even on taps even on their first investigation They also did an episode of aftershocks which i'm not a huge fan of i prefer the screaming room much better like i said we are stands feel free to judge me i understand but in aftershocks they bring in people who are related to the case and interview them months after the investigation they bring in suzanne a tour guide for the mystery house and she states that she doesn't think there's any dark presence she thinks that the spirits protect the house There's a vibe amongst the employees that the spirits are mostly employees that used to work for Sarah. They honor her and protect her in the home. Then they invite a man named Chris, who was in Bobby Mackey's basement during the experiment. And he talks a lot about how he feels like the two years after the experiment were the worst of his life. Things stalking him, bouts of anger and dark energy in his home. He is convinced that they amplified the dark energy at all three locations, which is why I said earlier, I think that some of the recent poltergeist activity captured by the docents at the Mystery House was brought about by this experiment. Many involved feel immense guilt, and I understand why. You open a doorway for Bobby Mackeys to leach out into the home, and that's gonna have consequences. And they
0: also didn't understand what they were doing. No. So, as we know you open a portal and you don't know anything about it the potential of that portal just staying open and being open is very high
1: and it sure seems like it was so now that we're done (laughs) and we found our answers um from the Beggins crew other media surrounding the home the best source of info i came across was a book called the captain of the labyrinth by mary Jo Ignafo. you've heard us mention her a couple different times it's a really well-written book There's also the Winchester Mystery House written by Cynthia Anderson. That one's less biographical and more a collection of ghost stories. And then there's movies. There's a movie that came out in 2009 called The Haunting of the Winchester House. It's not great, but it's not as bad as 2018 Winchester. When I say terrible movie, I'm talking about 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it weird that it's 13? Yes. Does it deserve it? Yes.
0: That movie is absolutely atrocious. I actually saw it in fear theaters, ironically enough. Oh, did you really? I did uh, on a date.
1: Uh, well, that's what you get for watching Winchester on a date, I guess.
0: God, we need It's to- really bad, and I like Helen Mirren. I was expecting
1: way better it was just not great so here's in the future hoping that there's more media made with the real story of sarah winchester told a story of strength and courage in the face of an ever judgmental society so where does that leave us with the winchester house today the house is still standing and being maintained it is open to the public for tours it is still owned by the winchester investments llc and you're like the winchester investment llc's what do you mean? There's no Winchester owning this? Yeah, that's because that's the Brown's company. You remember John and Mamie Brown who bought it for $135k? I remember them. Yeah, they're long passed on, but the business is still doing well and it's still supposedly owned by some of their descendants. But what's odd is that if you ask any of their employees, uh, someone leaked that when you sign on to work there, you're not allowed to ask that question and or look it up. So the Browns are, or I mean, I guess not the Browns any longer, it's not there, not they're no longer with us, but they're pretty dedicated to keeping this haunted Sarah Winchester story alive, um, which is interesting because I think at this point now, it's pretty secure that the house itself is haunted. You don't need to, you know, use Sarah Winchester's legacy for it. It's haunted enough to stand on its own, but I understand they have a really great social media game, as we were talking about earlier. The Instagram is pretty great. Their TikTok is pretty great. I
0: love their TikTok.
1: Um, and they have some awesome merch. The stained glass socks are my favorite.
0: Yep, yeah, I love the sweatshirt specifically. The In sweatshirt is cute. I am buying, the hell out of it. Not gonna lie.
1: Yeah, it's great. And like I said earlier, the house is open to public for tours. I know you did some research on that. Do you know what tours they offer?
0: Yeah, so there's quite a few. Um, this is all from the Winchester house website so i'm just going to go through each tour and then what happens on those tours uh so there's the walk with spirits tour guests will attend the wake for a departed soul in the parlor of the home ascend the third floor to experience a victorian era seance and end in the dark and foreboding basement home to the famous wheelbarrow ghost i thought it was kind of cool that they do a wake
1: yeah it that's is cool. neat i wish i mean- just call him clyde though
0: oh yeah. yeah can we give him his name tell him, What's call him by his name. Tours are offered daily starting on July 17th, 2022, and they can purchase tickets today. Mm-hmm. Another tour that they have is called the Houdini Spirited Escape, which honestly seems more like a haunted house attraction. So they have the terrifying house tour will feature two routes where guests will encounter numerous scare actors and be immersed in the world's most famous haunted home. I also don't have this in my notes, but just thinking about this and then talking about energies being brought into the home, Mm -hmm. they're literally running like a Halloween haunted house Mm -hmm. and there is legitimate fear when those happen. And it's just going to be pumped back into the environment yep so that's great yeah Um, another thing they offer is axe throwing at the stables so fun that one is step back in time into the shoes of Sarah Winchester's workers and experience the thrill of throwing axes at targets I want to know more of uh, what that actually looked like back in the day. Right. Um, But I'm glad that I guess we get the opportunity to do that
1: now. I guess. Um, They
0: also offer an immersive virtual experience. This was something that they started when the pandemic happened, when people couldn't travel, you couldn't go and do these tours. And basically, you buy a ticket, and you can go through the Winchester Mystery House in a virtual 360 tour. I think it's pretty cool.
1: That is really cool. It's very neat. It's very... It's such a beautiful home. I mean, ghosts. I'll, I'll set the ghostly stuff aside for a second. The house itself is insane. It's so beautiful. It is, yeah. It's such a. Um. It's such a memorial, and what is that called when you want to appreciate something? An ode. Goodness. Yeah. It's such a memorial and an ode to that Victorian style. Carpentry that her father was obsessed with and gave them such a love and passion for so it's you're never gonna be in San Jose Which not everyone gets to go there Definitely take the tour if you're interested
0: Um, Also, they have a video access tour which is similar to the virtual experience, but it's like Online as a video that you can watch.
1: Oh instead of like a
0: like clicking around in
1: person. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, so it's more like you're actually, like, walking and taking the tour, right? You're oh, that's really cool. it's it pretty cool.
1: That is really nice. I mean, especially for people who can't travel. For sure. That's really cool. Is that all the tours they offer?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I think. So, like I said, if you're ever in the area, please stop by. Because even if some of this info is hokey or is now owned by people who just wanted to make money off of it... Just know that it takes so much money to keeping our historical homes maintained and there's nothing wrong with having a little fun and believing the impossible if only for a minute. Stay out Arcadia.